Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. This is the word of God. Heavenly Father, as your word goes forth this morning, I want to pray that you will send message concerns the exaltation of the Son, but it also concerns liberty for the captive. So I pray that your Holy Spirit will move in a wonderful and powerful way among us this morning. And we pray this for your glory and our joy. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. When I taught Romans to a high school Bible their relationship with Christ. I said, this is specifically what I have in mind. I would like you to fill in this statement. I am his blank. So for example, you could say, I am his disciple. And you can think about the answer that you would give to that question. Because it was a small group, I let the, the students give different answers. And they said things like, I am his son. I said, that's a good answer. I'm his daughter. Excellent. His follower, that's good. Uh, I'm a sheep. I'm his beloved. I said, those are all really good and even biblical answers. However, I noticed that none of you filled in the blank describing your relationship the way Paul does in Romans 1:1. And for you this morning, I would add that none of the students described their relationship with Christ the way Paul does in 1:1 the way James does in 1-1, the way Jude does in 1-1, and the way Peter does here in 2 Peter 1-1. How did they describe their relationship with Christ? They said, I am his slave. When was the last time you heard a Christian describe themselves as a slave of Christ? My guess is never. Yet isn't it remarkable that when Paul their relationship with Christ, the best word that they can think of is that, a slave. Now, if you're here this morning, I hope you brought your Greek glasses. Uh, you're going to need them because I need you to see something as technical but important. Now, you may have noticed that in my translation, which is the ESV, uh, Peter by, begins by saying, Simeon Peter, servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not a good translation. Uh, if you have the New King James Version, so it's a little better. It says, Simeon Peter, a bond servant. That's close. 
Uh, the Greek word here is doulos, and it literally means slave. Some of you have heard me tell the story before, so I won't do it again. But uh, when I was a student at Moody, I was taking Greek for the first time, and we were a few weeks into the the class, and I, I learned just a handful of words. And and one day I, I met a gentleman from the the Middle East. I introduced myself, my name's Wayne, and, and he said, "Hi, my name is Dulas." And I said, "Oh, Dulas, that that means slave." And he <laughs> I just looked down a little bit, embarrassed, and said, "Yeah." And now, if I had to embarrass him, and I had the the foresight, I wish I would have followed up and said, "You mind if I ask why your your parents named you Dulas?" Uh, but I didn't. But but this is my point. Even first-year Greek students know that doulos means slave. And that raises an obvious question. Why didn't the translators, therefore, just translate this literally as Simeon Peter, a slave, and an apostle of Christ Jesus? Uh, my guess is uh, because they know the visceral response you get when you talk about slavery. of slavery um, in the Bible. Uh, the first type of slavery results from blatant kidnapping or what the Bible refers to as second type of slavery in the Bible. It's often referred to as indentured servitude. In the ancient culture, where you didn't have government programs, you didn't have uh, charities that were readily available, if you had no food, if you had no way to survive, then perhaps you had no other option but to sell yourself as a slave. And that's the second type of slavery that we see in the Bible. And then there's a third type of slavery that we see, and that is spiritual slavery that results from our own foolishness or rebellion, so that a person is bond in bondage to a cruel master, but another good master could redeem that person, and they could be set free to serve a new master instead. And that's what we have in mind here, and we'll talk about that a little later. But I do want to say spiritual slavery, I'm still talking about a real slavery. Often when we talk about spiritual realities, we think, oh, those things aren't real. No, this is a real slavery. Now, what I'd like us to do this morning is to consider this term doulos. And I would like us to do that because it will clarify at least three things for us, and you can write this down if you're taking notes. It will clarify who we are. It will clarify who Christ is. And it will clarify what the gospel is. So let's begin with the first point. Doulos is going to clarify who we are. Now, while it is true that we are servants of Christ, the Bible is also equally clear that we are slaves of Christ. And I want you to see that this translation 
servant is not only weak, it can even be misleading. Because while there is overlap between a slave and a servant, there is also some differences that we should recognize. Let me give you four. Number one, slaves are possessed by their master. Servants belong to themselves. In 1 Corinthians 6, 18 and 20, Paul says, Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God body. If you're a slave, you cannot say, my body, my choice. Your body belongs to God. Second difference. Slaves must yield unqualified obedience to the master. Servants can pick and choose the job that they would like to do. So if you hire a servant to do some cleaning at your house, they have the prerogative to say, I don't do windows, by the way, just so you know. Doesn't have that prerogative. And number three, slaves yield all their time 24 7 to the master. Servants, on the other hand, are free to set their own schedule. You ask a, a servant to help with someone, they, they can say yes or no, and they can also say, well, let me check my schedule and see if that fits into my. Number four, slaves forfeit all their rights to the master, while servants retain certain rights to themselves as they desire. Remember what Jesus said in Luke 6, 36. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Jesus, who is your Lord, will you do what he tells you? Lord. And, and I hope when we 
when we sing that again, we don't we don't sing it casually, mindlessly, but we really think, do I really surrender all? And we do if we recognize that we are slaves to Christ. So this term, doulos, helps us to clarify who we are. Number two, it also helps to clarify who Christ is. R.C. Sproul has noted that whenever you see the word doulos, it is also used in conjunction with another Greek word, kurios. Some of you may know that word. It means Lord. And when someone is called a Lord in the Bible, there's three possible definitions of that term. Uh, first of all, it could just be equivalent with sir. You call someone Lord, it's just like calling them sir. Next, when you call someone Lord, uh, it indicates that they are a slave. Uh, in the first century, uh, to be a lord, you had to have a slave. So you could be recognizing that that person is your slave owner. And then the third possibility when you refer to someone as lord is that you are recognizing that they are equal with God himself. In Romans 10.9, we talked about last week, Paul said, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then a few verses later, Paul says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now what's interesting about that reference is it's a quote from Joel 2.32, which talks about everyone who calls upon the name of Yahweh will be saved. But now Paul is taking that verse, and he's applying it to Christ. And now he says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved, indicating that he is equal with God himself. And when we say to Jesus, you are Lord, or when we sing it, he is Lord, he is risen from the dead, he is Lord, we are using all three those definitions. We're showing the respect and recognize that he's equal with God and that he truly is our Lord and we need to bow before him. You know, it's interesting. Someone made the observation uh, that God's people in the first century wanted a king without a savior. But in the 21st century, we want a savior without a Lord. It doesn't work that way. Jesus is our Savior and our Lord. We can't have one without the other. I think one of the most frightening verses in the Bible is Matthew 7, 28, where Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now, let me be real clear. I've said this a hundred times. I'll say it a hundred times more as long as the Lord gives me breath. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But the faith in which we are saved alone is never alone. It is always accompanied by good works. It is always accompanied by a sincere and earnest desire to do the will of our Father. And Jesus is simply saying, if I truly am your Lord, that will manifest itself in a life of wanting to do the will of your Father. 
said, if Jesus isn't Lord of all, he's not Lord of all. And he said, that day that we pass on the, the spiritual life, that understanding that Jesus is truly Lord, he is, he is Lord of all. Jesus is Lord. Is he Lord of all? And, and we have to turn, you and I, we have to clarify who, who we are. And it also will clarify who Jesus is. He, he is our Lord. He is our Master. This term will also help us to clarify what the gospel is. If you were with us last week, we looked at 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, where Paul describes the gospel this way. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he rose again on the third day, in accordance with the scriptures. And simply put, the two essential elements of the gospel are Christ dying for our sins and then rising again on the third day. And if we put our faith in him, we will be saved. In the previous verse, Paul said, describing the gospel, this is the gospel by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preach to you unless you believe in vain. We're saved by putting our faith in God. Now, I believe this term, doulos, will help to clarify exactly what it is we are saved from and what we are saved to. Often we talk about being saved from the penalty of sin. And that's true. We are saved from the penalty of sin. But we are also saved from the power of sin. And I think it's important to stress that as well. Let's return to our third definition of, of slavery, being in spiritual bondage, but then being set free because we were redeemed by a good master. Uh, what I'd like to do is look at Hosea chapter 3, and you can turn there if you like. Every once in a while, people will say, you just go too fast, and I'm not able to, I'm not able to keep up with you. There's there's a reason for that. I, I remember Howard Hendricks saying on one, one occasion, don't bore people with the Bible. If you're going to bore them, bore them with Shakespeare. No offense to you Shakespeare fans. Um, but because of that, I don't like to go slow and have people get bored. Um, so that, that was for you who wanted to turn to uh, Hosea, giving you a moment. But this is what we read in Hosea. And this is the heading in my Bible. Hosea redeems his life. And in this short chapter, we have a beautiful illustration of how God plans on redeeming his unfaithful bride, the church. We read, and the Lord said to me, talking about Hosea, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves children of Israel, though they have turned to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So in other words, God's people have, have turned away to, to other gods, and this reference to the raisin cakes is what they would eat during during different feasts involved in Baal worship, which was, which was a false god. So God's people have turned away, and they're like an unfaithful bride. They've, they've turned away from him, but he's, he's going to love them anyways. Verse 2, 
So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a, a lethic of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore, but belong to another man. So will I also be with you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household god. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And the reference to David their king is talking about David's greater son, Jesus Christ, who was to come. And they shall come in the fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. If you're a Christian, this is a picture of your salvation. You belong to God. He made you. In him you lived and, and moved and had your being, but, but you went astray. You worshiped and you served other gods and you were unfaithful to him. And he had every right just to let you go. He had every right to punish you. But he didn't do that. Instead, what did he do? He set his love and affection upon you. And he paid the ransom so that you could be redeemed. So that you could be set free. And the ransom price was not with shekels of silver. The ransom price was with the shedding of the blood of his only son. But he was willing to do it. Not because you deserved it, not because you're worthy, but because he is a God of love. So he set you free. And as a result, you now belong to a new master. You now belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now if you're sitting there this morning and you're still put off by this idea of slavery. I hate to break it to you, but slavery is an inescapable category. In other words, it's not a matter of whether or not you're going to be a slave. It's a question of whose master will you have? As you sit there this morning, every single one of you, myself included, is a slave. It's just a matter of who your master is. Some of you are familiar with the great American philosopher Bob Dylan. <laughs> in case you don't know, he was a singer, songwriter, very popular in the, in the 50s. But he wrote a song, Gotta Serve Somebody. And this is how the first stanza goes. You may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You may like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls. But you are going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. The choice is yours. We are all serving somebody. And that's just a question of who we are serving. This is what Paul said in Romans 6.16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads 
though you were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and have been set free from sin, and have become slaves of righteousness. Here's the wonderful paradox that we need to embrace. If you are a slave of Christ, you are the freest person in the world. To be a slave of Christ is to live a life of freedom. And isn't that what everybody wants? Josh McDowell in his, in his book, The Resurrection, Pastor says this. He says, I want to be happy. And I found the source. Talking about Jesus Christ. He says, more than that, I want to be free. I want to be one of the freest individuals in the world. Freedom to me is not going and doing whatever I wish. Anyone could do that. And lots of people are. Freedom is possessing the power to do what I look like I ought to do. By that definition, most people aren't free. They know what they ought to do, but they don't have the power to do it. They're in bondage. And so was I at the university in Chicago. And here's the thing I want to say. We can be in bondage to, to so many things. I think some things are, are obvious. We can talk about uh, sex. We can talk about drugs. We can talk about money. We can talk about wanting to be successful in, in life. But we can even be enslaved to, to bitterness or, or anger or, and hatred. Towards the end of this book, Josh McDowell gives a little bit of his testimony. I, and I found this absolutely fascinating. He said, I, and he admits this, I had a lot of hatred in my life. It wasn't something outwardly manifested, I would beg to differ with that description, but there was a kind of inward grinding. I was ticked off with people, with things, with issues. The one person I hated more than anyone else in the world was my father. I despised him. To me, he was the town alcoholic. If you're from a small town, you won't admit sin if you're from a small town. You know what I'm talking about. Everybody knew it. My friends would come to high school and make jokes about my father being downtown. They didn't think it bothered me. I was laughing on the outside, but let me tell you, I was crying. I'd go out in the barn and see my mother lying in the manger. She didn't put that in the manger. When we had friends over, I would take my father aside, tie him in the barn, and park the car behind the sidewalk. We would tell our friends that we had gone somewhere. I don't think any person could hate someone more. So strong. I was able to look my father square in the eyes and say, Dad, I love you. And I really meant it. After some of the things I'd done, that really shook him up. And I transferred to a private university. I was in a serious car accident with my neck in cracks when I was taken home. I'll never forget my father coming into my room and asking, Son, how do you like 
truth will set you free, and you will be free indeed. And the Jews, and I'm paraphrasing, basically, what he's saying, we've never been slaves to anybody. And Jesus said, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. They didn't even recognize that they were in bondage. So many people don't even realize that they walk around life with chains on their hands. They're not free to live how, even how they know they should live. But then verse 35, Jesus told the Jews, if the Son sets you free, you shall be free indeed. I mean, why was it that, that Paul and, and James and Jude and Peter, when asked to, to give one word to describe their relationship with Jesus Christ, why did they use this visceral word, slave? Perhaps, you tell me if I'm wrong, but perhaps in their minds, they believe this word describes who I am. I am a slave of Christ. I belong to him. He's my master. I live to serve him, not because I have to, because I want to. It's not a have to. It's a gift. And this word reminds me of who he is. He is my Lord. Yes, he is my Savior. Yeah, I believe each one of these men should hold their head up high. 
who I am. 